If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. We've got Lisa Potterson on Horse Chats today, and she's going to talk to us, love the title, 10 Themes to Practice to Become the Human of Your Horse's Dreams. Now, brilliant title. Um, we've had Lisa on before, of course, and if you haven't met Lisa before, haven't heard of any, I'd urge you to go back and listen to chat number 307 and 377. You know, she's a traditional instructor, traditional dressage, but then her, her big thing is she really wants to have that partnership to um, have horses, to have happier, healthier lives and to get wonderful relationships with a horse. So I urge you to go back, listen to those two first and then come in and we'll listen to when we talk about 10 themes to practice to become the human of your horse's dreams. But before we do that, I'd just like to remind you about the mission of International Horse College, and that's to promote the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. Have a look at our wide variety of equine courses at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, today, Lisa, how are you? I'm really well, thanks, Glennis. Lisa, I love your title, and I just think if I was a horse, yes, you know, we talk about having the horse of our dreams, but that's all one-sided. I think having the human of your horse's dreams, I think that's just wonderful. It's just coming on with a fresh outlook to say, well, we really can be that person. But tell me, this is the framework for your book, isn't it? It, it is, absolutely. And it was interesting because initially when I started out on this journey, um, of course, you know, I... I went through the whole accreditation to become an instructor. And I still felt like I, I wasn't learning what I wanted to learn. So I, I decided I was going to interview all these people that I thought were doing the kind of work all over the world that I really respected. And not that I don't respect, you know, everyone's work, but the kind of people that were working with horses in a very compassionate way with less and less gear. I, I steered a, a little bit away from the uh, dressage eventing side of things and got more into the, I guess what I wanted to find were the real principles of natural horsemanship. And um, the funny thing is that as I, as I got more into it and I interviewed more people, these themes started arising. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. And it really has nothing to do with horse training. It has more to do with um, human training. <laughs> and that's, I think, what the horses really want us to have a look at is, you know, how to become amazing humans so that we can have really deep and fulfilling partnerships. That's certainly an interesting perspective. You know, you're not alone in that perspective, but it's changed. You know, it's changed from it's all about the horse to it's all about the people say so the person can be better with the horse. Tell us, first of all, we've got presence as one of your themes. Tell us a little bit about that and what you've discovered there. Well, presence is, is really the most important theme because without it, you can't have any of the other experiences. You can't shift your perspective if you're not present. You can't be authentic if you're not present. You can't have connection and it goes on and on. You can't have trust. So presence is really step number one and it's kind of the overarching theme. 
And the first thing we have to do to become present, I, I should say the first thing that our horses have is the task of making us present or making sure that we're present because they can't connect with us unless we're actually we're actually there mentally. And, you know, a lot of the times you might be rushing to the stable and, you know, you need, you have you know, very little light. You want to ride your horse before it gets dark or you have a meeting afterwards. And so we're, we're always caught up in this. How do I say we're caught up in something happening in the future or we're reliving something that happened in the past. Maybe you got in a fight with somebody before you got to your horse and it causes us to really not be in the here and now. And so initially when you meet your horse, it's really important to, number one, release any expectations. So we might think, okay, I'm going to go see my horse and I'm going to practice whatever dressage test or do some jumping or just, you know, have a little workout. And I think it's really good to release that expectation and just see what happens, see what the horse is showing you and really listen to the horse. And uh, step two, which is somewhat part of that, is slowing down and finding that stillness inside of yourself and silence and simply breathing. And a lot of times I find that, you know, I'm often rushing around and I'm always doing something. And it's only when I slow down and actually observe what my horses are doing and I'm not making demands. I don't have an expectation or a goal that I'm trying to reach. And then I can gain some awareness of where I'm not present. And I've always found that horses are just amazing at helping us get into the moment. Okay, so from the presence, you know, you said without the presence, you can't have a perspective. What sort of perspective should we have if we're going to become the human of our horses' dreams? Well, you know, I was taught a lot of things, Glennis. Like when I was a kid and I was learning how to ride, I was taught traditionally. And the theme of show the horse who's boss, make sure you're, you know, in charge. That I really had to unlearn. And I love this quote. It's uh, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn and relearn. And it's by Alvin Toffler. And I love that because I had to unlearn stuff. I had to unlearn the idea that I don't actually need to be the horse's boss. And if I actually want a relationship, a relationship isn't, you know, master slave. (laughs) And the horse isn't there to obey me. So if I want that kind of friendship, partnership, trusting um, connection, I've got to unlearn some stuff that I was taught and unravel a few things and start seeing things with fresh eyes and and perhaps question my way of looking at the world so that I can have new beliefs. And once you have new beliefs, then then you can take different actions and then get a different result, obviously. So I could tell you a little story about perspective, but I'm not sure how much time we have Let's hear the story. Otherwise, everyone's going to be so curious and say, Glennis, you should have listened to that story. (laughs) Well, it's a really simple story. And it, it it just helps me to understand the concept of perspective and what I've been taught. And it's the story of the roast. And um, so the story is that the girl goes to put the roast in the oven and she cuts the ends off either side of the roast, puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven. And her friend says, 
why, why are you cutting the ends off the ropes? And she said, because my mom always did that. And that's how you do it. And uh, her friend's like, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe you should talk to your mom about why she did that. So she went to her mom and she said, mom, why do you cut the ends off the roast? And same thing. She said, well, because your grandmother always did that. Luckily, her grandmother was alive. And she went to her grandmother and she said, grandma, why do you cut the ends off the roast? I never understood that. And she said, oh, many years ago, we had a really small oven and I could only fit a little pan in there. And so the roast that I used to buy didn't fit. So I always had to cut the ends off. And so here, this story has passed through generationally and nobody stopped to think about why, but it's irrelevant. And so I think it's the same thing with shifting our perspective. It's like sometimes we're taught things, show the horse who's boss, let's say as an example. And that might not be relevant for what we want to achieve if we want to actually have a really beautiful uh, connection and a trusting fulfilling relationship. Yes, yes, I think so. I think that definitely puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Now, the authenticity, being authentic. Tell us about that and how we can use this to become the practice. Yeah, well, you know, horses don't listen to your words. Um, They listen to your tone. They listen to your body movements, your eyes, maybe some subtle facial expressions but they interpret your silence and they interpret your essence. And in that, they can actually see you for who you are. And so just like they are completely themselves, they're not trying to hide anything. They're at peace with who they are. And I think that they're showing us, they embody that authenticity themselves. They don't pretend, you know, they're clear about how they feel. As we know, they can be very opinionated, which is great, and they're not phony. And so when we, as humans, I think we're a little bit more complex and we have these masks, um, those don't work with horses. So, you know, some people, uh, Linda Kohanev, I think, talks about the idea of congruence and that when we mask our emotions around horses, it's actually very confusing for them. And it's almost like the person looks out of focus to their awareness system. And when you try to put on a happy face, but you're actually not feeling great, you're a bit angry about something, you're sad, it's actually so incongruent. And they're going to sense the rise in your blood pressure or your muscle tension or your emotional intensity. And they're not going to understand where you're coming from. And it's not going to make them feel like they can trust you because you're incongruent. So the first step after, well, I should say there's, there's first presence and then being open to shifting your perspective and seeing things a little different and then getting real about who you actually are and just be yourself. And if you're upset, you know, or something happened, they understand crying. You know, I've cried so many times in the paddock and, and gotten so much emotional support from horses who just stand there with me and, you know, they're like a, a dear friend. So I think that that's a really important part of the, the process is to get real with ourselves and just be honest, you know? Yeah, yeah. Being honest and, um, you know, you being in the paddock with your horse or, you know, in the field or, or pasture if we're talking about um, people from other countries, but that whole presence, perspective, authenticity, it sounds like we need that 
before we have the connection. Am I on the right track there? Totally, totally. And that was the thing why, you know, it's taken me a long time to complete this project. And initially I thought it was going to be mainly these interviews with these amazing people. But then all of a sudden these themes started arising. And it was like as if these themes were the themes that the horses really wanted humans to start practicing and taking notice of in order to have connection, in order to have these beautiful experiences. And, you know, one thing I found with connection, which is surprising, is that sometimes it happens when we disconnect first from people, places, or concepts that are no longer serving us. Like I said, it might be irrelevant to cut the ends off the road. Um, And that way we can make space to reconnect with new people and new ideas that are actually more relevant to the person we are now. And so that was, that was actually kind of hard for me because I came from that traditional background and all of a sudden, you know, I, I wanted to ride without a bit and I, I was then eventually wanted to ride without a bridle and then eventually I didn't want to ride at all. And it, it was like people thought I was crazy. So there was that period of isolation and separation before I could find the people that were interested in the same things that I was who sort of understood and I didn't feel so disconnected. So I just, you know, I'll warn, I'll warn anyone that it's not necessarily an easy process, but it's necessary sometimes to disconnect before you find what it is that you need to connect with. So I find, I guess the best thing is um, actually doing nothing spending quiet time alone in nature. And and that's been one of the most healing and restorative things that I do. Instead of thinking that I have to do more and achieve more, the horses, I feel, are urging us to do less. And funnily enough, you know, with COVID as well, you know, we're sort of forced, at least we have been, things are coming back a little bit now, but Mother Earth is asking us to do a little bit less and connect more on a deeper level to our, our heart's truth. The connection, you know, we often talk about getting a better connection or a deeper connection with our horse, and we talk about trust almost in the same sentence. So is connection and trust along the same thing as the same theme or two separate themes? Can you just explain either, you know, the, the relationship between the connection and the trust? Yeah, that's a really good point. Look, you need trust to have connection, don't you? And so... Perhaps I could change the order of that because trust is really everything. And the more we trust, the more trust there is. So, you know, it's great when we're able to trust our horses. And trusting our horses is almost practice for trusting what's happening in our life outside of horses. And so as far as the relationship between connection and trust, I actually just feel that, like, I don't trust anybody that I don't feel connected to, basically. And I don't connect with anybody that I don't trust. So I don't know. I don't know. It, they're kind of, they're, they're sort of two sides of the same coin in a way. <laughs> um, but I think we do need that, that foundation. And um, because if we... And, and I guess the, in the way that I was feeling about trust, I was feeling it like a an active engagement with the unknown because there there have been times in my life where I've had to leap into the void in and outside of working with horses. For instance, let's just use horses because this is a, a horse-centric talk. 
we, we would need to trust our horses in order to take the bridle off. And that, that is, we don't know necessarily that the horse isn't going to take off, but we have faith that we've done enough work, we've established enough connection and enough uh, language between the two of us that our horse understands what it is that we're trying to do. They understand how to stop and turn using leg, leg pressure and our seat. But we still have to, at some point, take the bridle off. And that's that leap into this unknown of, well, we'll see what's going to happen. And that's also, that's also an act of being very vulnerable and yet being courageous enough to act anyway. And so I think if you want to create anything new um, and improve anything with your horse, I think part of it is trusting them, trusting yourself, and being able to move in a direction that's unknown to you. We often talk about um, communicating with our horse, and we've got different versions of communication, and different people communicate in different ways, I suppose. But what do you think are the keys to communicating between human and horse? Well, it's funny, you know, I spoke with an animal communicator who I respected for this project. Her name's Marta Williams. And there was one thing she said that really stuck in my mind. And uh, she said, if we speak to our animals as if they understand everything we're saying, um, there's a good chance we'll reach an understanding because they do. They do understand. And it's like I said before, they're not listening to our words, but they're listening to the feeling beneath the words. So communication, I don't think, needs to be verbal. It can happen in many, many different ways. Energetic communication body awareness, uh, different kind of body movements and the way we, our posture is a, a form of communication. And I, I feel like, again, I'm going to say that, you know, we need to get in, a, in sort of the stillness in order to communicate properly. If we're rushing and we're thinking about all the things, the list of things that we have to do, we're not going to be able to communicate properly. So we have to get really focused and really present and getting uh, more of an observation state of mind, just observing what's going on with you, observing what's going on with your horse. And the other thing that's really interesting, which the animal communicator said, is that I always thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to talk to my horse and ask him what he feels like doing? Do you want to do some jumping? Do you want to go to the beach? Do you want to just graze in the paddock with your friends and have them give me an answer, you know, and say, um, yeah, Lisa, I'd, I'd really love to whatever, do this or that. But she said it's actually very, very difficult to communicate with your own animal. It's a much more advanced process because we have so many biases. We have so many preconceived ideas about what that horse is about and what they're going to say. So if we actually want to get really good at communicating with animals, the best thing you can do is to practice with animals that you don't know, but let's say belong to a friend. So you can then verify your accuracy. So it could be dogs, it could be cats, it can be any animal. It can be uh, most people, you know, obviously wild animals are a little bit different because we couldn't verify our accuracy. But once you do that 60 or 70 times, you're going to be able to get that feeling, oh, this is the feeling I get when I'm accurate. And also, I'll say too, it has a lot to do with trusting yourself. So sometimes you might get a thought, you might get this thought like, why do I keep seeing a gray kitty in my mind? You know, and you can't, you can't um, 
what do you call it, filter your thoughts. So you need to allow the thoughts to come through because one of these stories that um, Marta told me was really funny was um, there was this problem with a horse that didn't want to go to a horse show. And every time he went to the horse shows, he would he would be terrible. He would fuck. He would he would just act like a maniac. And they, they couldn't understand because he was so well-behaved at home. And the second they took him out to a competition, he was unmanageable. And so they had a session with Marta. And she said, look, he doesn't really want to talk to me, but all I can see is this gray kitty. And so um, she said, does that mean anything to you? And they said, oh, that's really funny. That's the barn cat. And they're like best friends. They're inseparable. And so the only time they aren't together is when he goes to a horse show. And the cat stays at the barn. And so Marta suggested that they take the cat with them. And the horse was perfect the next time he went to the competition. So, you know, you couldn't just, you, you couldn't say, oh, why am I seeing a gray kitty? That's silly. Because we have to then trust what's coming to us. So there's a few exercises you can do to get really good at communicating with animals. And part of it is running writing, you know, just take your notepad outside and just write without filtering yourself and then verifying your accuracy that, I mean, I'm talking about intuitive communication at this moment, but there's so many communication. It's like we could talk just about communication for the whole hour, the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We'll uh, certainly invite you back again, Lisa. We can uh, talk about that in a lot more detail, I'm sure. Oh, wonderful. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine. Maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Lisa, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you're going to tell me that consistency is important but how important is that consistency how can it change when would it change or is it important to be consistent all the time how do we practice consistency yeah i guess it's so important with everything isn't it you know like with our with ourselves you know we get we want to eat healthy we want to take care of ourselves but you know eating an apple isn't going to do it we've got to really make a conscious effort to Let's say eat more fruit and vegetables on a on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. It's not something that's going to happen instantly when we want to heal ourselves. So the same thing goes with, you know, consistency with the horses. I think we need to show up. We need to make sure that their needs are met. And I think consistency provides that logic and and fairness for a horse, so they know what to expect, and they have a good chance of getting it right. And um, I don't think it's the same thing as repetition. I think a lot of times people, you know, they're trying to get the horse to do whatever it is, whatever exercise, and it's repeated and repeated and repeated. 
And that can be actually damaging. Whereas with consistency, it's something we practice. We're showing up on a regular basis. The horse knows what to expect. And then that consistency also creates more trust. So with all of these themes, they are kind of intertwined. You can't have connection without trust. You can't have trust without consistency. They're all the things that the horses actually are urging us to look at. And that's why I say for us to become the human of their dreams, but then that has a, a much more far-reaching impact on our lives than just working with the horses. Consistency, you know, if you want to get fit, you got to do what it takes to get fit in the way that you that you want. It can't happen with a one-session, uh, one you know, wonder. So I also think it's very confusing for horses if you try different techniques, you try different gear, you sort of show up sometimes, but maybe there's another rider that comes sometimes. Very confusing for the horse. So when we're consistent and we train correctly, it really brings the results and it also brings the trust. And you talked about the healing just a moment ago. Tell us about the healing. Ah, uh, the healing. <laughs> They're all such big topics. It's so hard for me to condense into a little um, nut. But um, look, the process is the point. I always thought that it was this destination and I'd be healed, you know. I'd be physically, mentally just completely um, perfect <laughs> in some way if I could just get there, wherever there is. But it's actually this process of healing and um, probably the easiest way that I can describe it is um, basically when I look at the horses, I realize nine times out of ten that what they need is exactly what I need. And when I look at what they need, uh, it's basically air, <laughs> water, sleep, food, shelter, connection to someone, something outside of themselves. It could be it, it can be a connection to a herd member in, in the sense of a horse or a goat or a, another cow, but, but someone, um, not yourself, and also self-expression. And I realized that so there are seven neutral needs that everyone needs in order to be healthy and to thrive. And, you know, of course, air, we need the most. And water, second, people often think food is the third thing, but it's actually sleep because we could live a month without food, but we couldn't live a month without sleep, like uh, torture. So it was interesting when I was looking at, you know, practices to heal horses, because a lot of times when horses come into my care, they're, they're, they're in need of significant healing, whether it be they've got, they've had come from a traumatic background or their feet are all messed up or they're underweight or they haven't been listened to and they're shut down or they're aggressive. Otherwise, people don't need a trainer. They always come when there's challenges, I should say. When I looked at these practices to heal horses, they're just like us. They need air and they need fresh water. They need food, mostly in the form of forage or grass or chaff. And um, obviously, they need sleep and relaxation, which I think part of that, I would put the importance of having a herd in there because horses can't deeply relax without knowing that someone's got their back. You know, they always need to be guarded by one of their friends. And then they need the shelter from the elements. Um, look, it doesn't always have to be a stable. I don't even use stables. I, I'm a real firm believer of walk-in, walk-out shelters. Or even at my house, I put that in. I put a little shelter in. Um, and, made, and of course, they just love the big tree. 
<laughs> the big tree is so much better than the shelter that I built. And, um, you know, if you don't even have that, maybe, you know, if it's raining really hard and it's cold, like it has been, I know, up at Queensland, that, um, you know, they get a they get a rug, but then making sure that rug gets taken off as soon as it gets too hot, because that I see quite often is over-rugging horses or, you know, they're sitting there in the paddock with a rug on and then the sun is shining and it's, that's a bit um, rough as well. And then let's say the last one would be freedom, which which is their creative expression. They need to roam in order to stay healthy mentally and physically. And so really those same components are can be modified slightly for us, but you know, with air it's coming back to breathing and, and, and yoga and um meditation. And with water, you know, it's not just drinking water and staying uh, hydrated, you know, with non chlorinated, non fluoridated water, it's actually bathing in beautiful water and swimming in the ocean and swimming in our natural water holes and having baths with Epsom salts and really cleansing with water. And I love my baths. I don't know if it's from horse riding and being sore, but I find those Epsom salts, salt baths are really um, incredibly healing. And then of course there's sleep, you know, and people basically are taught to believe they're lazy if they sleep too much. But a lot of us need to rest and repair. So I think we need to let go of that idea that we're not doing enough again and allow ourselves the sleep that we need without guilt. And then the next would be food. So what are we consuming? And not just food that we put into our bodies, but also what we're watching, who we're hanging out with, and what we're thinking about. So I have found with food that the way that I'm the healthiest is eating mostly uh, fruit and vegetables. And really, really, I've stopped eating animal products because I love the animals, so I didn't want to eat them anymore. So that was a big transformation for me because I initially was taught that meat was food and it was healthy for you. So that was something I had to really shift my perspective on a few years ago. And then, of course, there's shelter, just a, a personal space that's sacred to us and keeping it organized and clean and functional. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it's definitely important that there's no clutter. It's not disorganized. I know that I, I can't mentally think if my desk is a mess. Um, little things, you know, washing the dishes and making the bed and just keeping our shelter sort of in good working order. And, of course, then having connection. Connection is something that's not ourself. So it can be another person, of course, but it could be our connection with spirit. It could be our connection with our horses. It could be our connection to anything that, that we feel aligned with. And then, of course, a creative self-expression. So, so as I go down the list, the, the, these things, um, you know, you won't die immediately if you don't have creative self-expression. Of course, you will if you don't have air for a few minutes. But eventually, after years of, of not really expressing yourself, your spirit dies. So I think it's really important in our healing to make sure that we just, it's really simple, just think of these seven needs for ourselves and for our horses. And just start with that because it can be a little bit overwhelming knowing, you know, well, how do I heal? Well, it's like, are your needs being met? These are the things you need. And do the same for your animals, and hopefully that's a, that's a good place to um, start having a look at things. I know in your book, you know, in the preparation of it, there's been the forgiveness. Is it we've got to forgive ourselves? Or the horse has got to forgive us? We've got to forgive our horse? How does that relationship come about? What can we practice within the 
theme of forgiveness? Yeah, forgiveness, it's, um, it's, it's really huge because I think that it releases us from stagnation. And it's, it's caused by a state of powerlessness, essentially, because sometimes we need to forgive others. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. But in order for us to not be a victim of some circumstance, we need to let it go. And sometimes forgiveness is a, is a decision. And um, I do think the horses sometimes need to forgive as well. Because I imagine, you know, a horse that came from some sort of traumatized background. Think about, okay, I've, I've got thoroughbreds in my care. So imagine what the racehorses go through. You know, it's just full trauma, full trauma. You know, they're they're bred to run and they're taken away from their mom at a very young age. They're put in a stable. They're trained quite quickly because, you know, they don't want to spend too much time because it's a, a time and money. And uh, they're kept in solitary confinement. They're fed unnatural food. They're forced to run and um, they don't really understand what's happening. And if they don't run fast enough, they're whipped. And they've got, you know, these really, sometimes these really full-on bits. And then they get thrown back into their their cell. <laughs> and it's just, you know, really, really full-on for them. So if they hold on to that pain and that suffering and that feeling of nobody was ever really listening to them, they ran them so hard that their, you know, tendons were pulling, whatever was happening, um, they had an injury. If they hold on to that trauma and think that humans are just, you know, all horrible, then when somebody, let's say, rescues them or, you know, takes them on after their racing career and and they haven't forgiven humans or aren't willing to let that go, they're never going to receive the benefits of somebody who actually cares and actually is listening to them. And so they're living in the past. They're like, oh, no, no, humans are horrible. I know I had a bad experience. And you can see that that just prevents them from actually living their best life and what you know is, is on offer for them because sometimes their life can change, uh, can turn around. So I think sort of the same thing goes with us. You know, we need to forgive anything that somebody has done to us. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter if they took accountability for it. What matters is that we're able to forgive it it doesn't mean forgetting it and let it go, even though it might have been terribly um, unjust, so that we can create a new future based on our present circumstances, which may be totally different from what happened in the past, and that we can move on, you know, in a harmonious way without that trauma being carried with us like a bunch of baggage. And it, it sort of colors our perception of what's happening because of because of this, you know, maybe we're carrying a bunch of bags or we've got, you know, 10, 10 pair of eyeglasses that are skewing. I'll go back to perspective again. I used to call them perspectacles. You know, I need, I need a new pair of perspectacles because, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, it, 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 we're seeing things through so many filters. So I think forgiveness sort of clears that slate. And so, yeah, it, it could be the horses forgiving us. It could be we forgiving, let's say a horse kicks you, you know, you've got to let that go. If a horse bucks you off, well, that was so five minutes ago. So, you know, of course, 
you want to deal with what's at hand. But if I go back to that horse and think, oh, geez, it kicked me last time, of course, I'll use preventative measures and I'm not going to go, you know, run up to their hindquarters. But if I am constantly living in something that happened in the past, I'm just going to recreate that in my future. So I think forgiveness is a huge part and sometimes a little bit painful as well. So, you know, there there is sometimes some sadness, but we just need to let go and, and continue on our way and see what else, you know, kind of magical things appear. I suppose after the forgiveness, you know, we, what we're looking for is the peace. What can we do then to um, have the practice of peace? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the themes that we've been talking about that the horses really want us to, to practice are going to be a, a good start in getting us to a, a place of peace inside of ourselves. In the same way, you know, the, I I wanted, of all of the interviews, it was funny, you know, I didn't think of it, but I, I really needed to interview my horse. I had this really beautiful old thoroughbred named Bob. <laughs> and Bob is just such a legend. And I, I went and sat in the paddock with him and I wrote down my notes. You know, I was saying I do this running riding sometimes. And I, I try not to filter myself. and. And what he said is, he said, you know, horses come in peace and they want the same for us. And they don't really understand why humans feel the need to treat us the way that we often do. You know, why we need to, like I was saying, you know, the trauma cost in the racing industry. And I know, of course, there's a lot of people out there that say, no, race horses have the best lives. Look, it's just my perspective and what I've seen because I've seen so many race horses that have been a little bit damaged from that industry but I think if we then go back to our needs getting met you know just those seven neutral needs we just need to to check you know it's pretty simple um we also very similar to the horses we just want to live peacefully with our families we want to feel the warmth of the sun we want to have the freedom to you know be out in nature we want to have the connection with each other. And this is basically what, what the horses are saying that they want as well. And they want to feel connected to their, their animal brothers and sisters as well as their human friends. And they really don't want us to uh, use them as uh, a beast of burden. You know, when you look up horse in dictionary, it says beast of burden still. It's just crazy. And so, you know, and with the racing industry, it's, it's a very um, economic pursuit. And with a lot of competition, it can be uh, an ego pursuit, which, you know, I was in as well many, many years ago. And I just, you know, wanted to look good. And I think what they're asking is for us to just, just be, you know, be ourselves, be authentic, and start working on, on some of these, these themes, uh, practice communicating, practice showing up with consistency, you know, go through a little bit of a healing process, forgive what happened in the past. And then suddenly, you know, you're going to find yourself in a more peaceful state because, you know, there's nowhere to go and there's nothing to do. And so that's sort of what Bob was saying. He's like, again, slowing down, taking time for yourself, taking time to be present and remembering that we're, we're really all the same. And, you know, you can choose to understand other beings, non-human beings. And it's, I think the horses are, are really showing that. This one question that um, I read, one of my favorite Facebook pages is uh, called Horse-Human Bond. 
And I contacted the woman who started the page. It's, it's a fantastic page. Her name's Karen McKelney. I think I've got her name right. And she asked this question. She said, what does a horse in domestication need to, to thrive, both as a horse firstly and then as a companion to a human? And then the alternative question is, and what does a human need to become the best companion for the horses that they are guardians for? And I think it's just a question that we can all explore so that we can find peace together. And for everybody, it's going to look a little bit different. I'm sure it will. But, you know, something that comes together with all these themes is the gratitude, you know, gratitude for what we've got. How do you bring that into this practice? Is that, you know, like within the theme of gratitude? What can we do? Well, I spoke before in, in I think it was in the present um in the very beginning, I said part of it is is releasing our expectation, and um, and I find when I release my expectation, all of a sudden something really magical happens that I didn't expect. And so I think gratitude is that shift from expectation to appreciation, and it could be in any aspect of our life, in any relationship. And um, someone once told me years ago the horse you see is the horse you get. And I love that statement because I can also say, well, the life you see is the life you get. The relationship you see is the relationship you get. And if you see the magnificence in your horse and you focus on that, then your horse is going to blossom in front of you. And if you see the radiance in another being, a partner, a child, a coworker, a friend, whatever, then that's what's going to be reflected back to you. So if you're able to shift from expectation to appreciation, you're going to notice a softening in yourself and it it offers the other being, the other person, a safe place to be themselves and to be fully self-expressed without fear that they're going to be judged or punished. Um, People just sense it, you know, it's amazing when you start I'm sure you've seen it, Glennis, when you see the horse just like, wow, I didn't realize you could do all of this. They just show you their intelligence and their their power and their their humor. And when you just, in your heart, you feel that appreciation and you, you recognize, you recognize them for who they are, then, then that is... Um, that you're going to have a better chance of, of getting a great relationship. And I think, you know, the three steps to get started with expanding your sense of gratitude is that acknowledgement, let's say number one, and, and recognizing who or what you're grateful for. And then number two, it would be appreciation. So honoring and cherishing whatever it is that you are appreciating. And the third would be allowance, which is accepting what it is without yearning for something else. You know, oh, I like my horse, but I wish it was a Frisian. Or I wish, you know, I, I like my thoroughbred, but, you know, it's like, well, you have, to, you have to just allow and accept what is without wanting something else. So that's a big part of it. So, like, the practices would be, um, you know, maybe simply thinking of, a few things that you're grateful for, which a lot of people have gratitude diaries, which is amazing. But the more advanced thinking is then having gratitude for the things that went terribly wrong 
and feeling grateful for those experiences because those experiences taught you something and make you more of who you are. So that's sort of the practice. Um, I've learned more from horses that have been bucking and kicking and biting and rearing than I have from the ones that are quite happy to go along with the program. So I'm very, very grateful to my, my wild and an opinionated mare because she's my best teacher. <laughs> yes, yes, we can uh, we can have teachers along those ways. You know, they come in all sorts of unexpected forms, don't they? Absolutely. What about compassion, Lisa? How does that fit in? It's important because I think we need to we need to understand another's suffering, and that's really what compassion is and what I think is is fascinating about compassion is that you cannot be compassionate if you have stuff deeply yourself so in the same way you know I said I'm grateful for things going wrong and and not how I expected and 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 the very um um opinionated mayor I'm also I have to get to a point. Look, I'm I'm only human as well, and I'm working on it. Um, but I have to be grateful for all the painful things that have happened to me, and deeply, deeply. Um, how do I say it? I've, I've experienced quite a lot of grief, and had I not experienced that grief, I wouldn't be able to have the compassion that I do for others. And then I think the combination of, let's say. Uh, feeling love with compassion creates unconditional love. And I think many of us here who are probably listening to this talk have unconditional love for their horses. Um, It's sometimes easier to have unconditional love for animals than it is for humans. A lot of times as humans, we place conditions on our love. And even if we know, you know, it's not the right thing to do and we should be unconditional about it, but compassion and understanding uh, the pain of another it really, it's so powerful and it, and it creates such a deep connection. And I think it's something that we need to offer freely and generously. And um, it's more powerful than empathy or sympathy. You know, how many times have you lost somebody or, you're, you know, you had a pet die and someone says, oh, you know, my, my deepest condolence to you or my deepest sympathy. And it's like, it doesn't really... Um, sink into my heart whereas some if somebody really feels my pain and I'm you know crying and 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 just really really sad and someone just sits with me and holds my hand and understands I actually can start to heal so I think same thing goes with how we we are with the horses you know we have to deeply understand and have compassion for what it is that they're going through and what what it is for thousands of years they've been um, put through. So, um, you know, for the most part, um, I think, I think we really need to, to, to see them. And so that, you know, we, we show them that their lives matter and we don't just, you know, take their bodies and say, okay, you're going to run and you're going to run fast and that's going to make me a lot of money, you know, so I think we need to have compassion for, for them as individuals. And, um, you know, in the same way, the horses are dependent on the herd for safety and protection. 
um, and other animals as well. You know, they're experts at compassion. Dolphins are brought up in a, a culture of politeness. And somehow humans have been taught that we can exploit others or we can use others for our personal gain. And I think that, you know, even a mushroom is going to have more common sense than that. So I think that that's really understanding another person's, another being's suffering is the beginning of truly connecting. Um, part of the practices that you can you can do, um, this is actually, it dates all the way back to Xenophon, which is really interesting. Xenophon is one of the first, you probably know about him, Glenn, but um, one of the first people who ever wrote about horsemanship. And he said one of one of the n- nicest things you can do is is get off of your horse a mile before you get back to the stable and walk the horse back. And I do that sometimes. I, I'm not riding at the moment because I'm sort of um, in two minds about riding. But the last time I rode, I did get off about a mile before the stable or a kilometer before the stable and just walked home. And I loosened the girth and I put the reins over the head and I just walked home with the horse. And the horse was just, um, it, was, it wasn't my horse, this particular horse. It, he was sort of in shock because it was like, wow, somebody actually considered me. And um, I think that's a really beautiful practice. Another practice could be letting the horse seek you instead of just going in the paddock and throwing the halter on them and leading them back wherever you want them, you know, to settle up or whatever. Um, letting them come to you. So you can actually, um, you know, see the truth. Do they want to come to you? And, you know, are you providing a safe space for them? Are you connecting? And um, another compassionate thing you can do with horses is, you know, to work with them liberty. So rather than always having a halter and a lead rope on and tying them up, see if you can do their feet, you know, pick out their hooves without the halter, without the lead rope, and see if they just want to stand with you. And then you're going to see the truth in the situation as well. So it's also listening when, when they say, no, I don't want to stand with you or no, I don't want you to put the saddle on and actually listening. And that's the beginning of, of having a more compassionate and understanding relationship. So I reckon um, a lot of the liberty work um, is really good and teaching your horse to feel comfortable with new environments making sure they're comfortable with spray bottles and ointments and getting their legs wrapped and all these kind of things that we need to teach them so that we can actually care for them properly um, in case there's an accident or they're getting attacked by flies or, you know, we need to wrap their leg. And, and so this is actually a really compassionate practice of teaching them how to sort of, you know, I mentioned before, Karen's question, what do we need to, how, how can we help horses in domestication um, to thrive, and, and, and this is one of the ways, is, is teaching them these things. So I'm sure you're doing that a lot in your courses, is helping people to um, teach horses how to how to live with us, you know, and, and how we, we need to live with them. So, yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful process. Yes, yes, it's very important, I think. You know, very important. We look at their welfare, and that's just not about their physical needs, but... Um, it goes a lot deeper than just physical needs. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're that different, really. And that's why I, I make the parallel quite often, you know, with the healing. It's like we all need the same thing. So what what would what would you want? I guess it's the golden rule, but then you could take that a step further and you could say, actually, 
rather than to, to give what you would want, it's actually to give what you think that being needs or what that being would want. Because sometimes you have to think a little bit more deeply about that rather than, well, what I would like is that they're a little different than you. And also we have to be compassionate with ourselves. You know, that's the other part as well. And and not be such a harsh critic. You know, why aren't I doing Grand Prix dressage? Well, you know, are you enjoying your time? Are you, is your horse healthy? Are you having fun? You know, that's really what it's about. So um, I think self-compassion is a big part of the, part of the process as well. Yeah. Lisa, freedom, you know, something that we all want, you know, ultimately we want the freedom to do, you know, what we want when we want. It's not always the best thing for us, but, you know, the freedom to choose. What can we say about that? Or how does that come into perspective as a theme? Yeah, it's it's the last thing because I think that is what we all want. Like you said, we want to be able to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And horses are no different. And um, sometimes it means we need the freedom to express. Sometimes we need the freedom to choose our own destiny, um, especially with horses. You know, I feel that they need freedom over their bodies, uh, but of course with us as well. Um, and also the freedom from indoctrination. Like I'd said in the very beginning, you know, I was taught one thing, and this is sort of the traditional practice. And all of a sudden I had to sort of relook at what I had been indoctrinated into and, and did I want to continue in that way? And what I found is the more and more I um, released myself from what I was taught and delve more deeply into what I'm truly interested in, which is I just love horses. I love all animals, but I really, horses are just so incredibly um, God, I mean, I, I, I can't really, I can't even find words for it. They're just so, I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to have them in my life. Um, but I also find that when we free the horse from their servitude, you know, they, dressage was initially to train horses for the war. So we don't really need that anymore. So once we stop training them in that kind of way, not that I think dressage is bad because dressage isn't bad, but I feel that when we're unaware of, of our beliefs and we just sort of do things without thinking about them, that we're in sort of this trap of, of doing the same thing over and over again, like the Rose story. And I guess that's why I felt it was relevant to tell, even though I don't even eat meat, <laughs> just the concept of it. But once we free yeah, we free the horses from their servitude, then I, I feel like we're also freeing ourselves from ours. So like, for instance, when I stopped using stables and putting the horse in, you know, locking them up, in the past, I was having to go in in the morning and muck out and clean up all the manure and then, you know, wheelbarrow that to the pile. And it was so much work and then no more shaving. And now when I've actually given the horses the freedom, they're on 50 acres roaming with their herd. and they have the walk-in, walk-out shelter, like I said, and then have the big tree, which they love even more. And I don't have it. I haven't picked up a manure in, in years now. So it's like it's freed me from all that labor and all that energy. And, you know, now if, if I uh, just go out, I might need to go pick some manure up for um, the garden. But, but that's about it. I just, I just don't. It's not part of my, my daily grind. 
And so, I mean, that's a tiny example, but I find once we release our attachment to whatever outcome, it also liberates us from being controlled by whatever false belief we had. And then it allows us to choose what matters to us. So, um, so freedom is really, I think when we're practicing these themes that the horses are encouraging us to look at to be better humans, that, um, the, the ultimate result and, and the ultimate, the ultimate experience is a sense of, of peace and, and freedom. Mm. Mm. Lisa, I love the the framework of your book. I know it's not ready yet, but um, you certainly need to come back and let us know, you know, when the book is available. And I understand it's going to be available as well as an audio book, which will be very good. Yeah, I think it's easy to listen to something, you know, in the car when you're driving. And a lot of people are, you know, rushing around time poor. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to offer that. But I just, I just want to thank you so much, Glenn. It, and I love your, you're also very open-minded and, and, you know, willing to look at things. And um, I love the platform that you have and that it's, its main concern is, is really the welfare of horses, which, you know, need to be a voice for these beautiful, beautiful animals that have, have given humanity so much. And, um, and so thank you so much for having me again on your on your podcast. I really, really enjoy it and appreciate you. Well, certainly, Lisa, you know, love having you and I'm looking forward to having you again because in each of these subjects, I'm sure we can go into more detail. So, um, you know, a little bit of feedback on which is more important to our listeners. That would be great if you let us know. But I think... You know, I think anything that you're going to come up with is certainly, um, you know, you've certainly got the right um, mindset behind it, and it's it's all about the horse. It's it's um, what can we do for the horse, and I certainly appreciate you for that. So, so thank you for coming on, and thank you for your time, Lisa. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Oh, thanks, Glenis, and um, you take care, and we'll speak soon. Okay, wonderful. Talk to you soon, then. Bye, bye. Okay, bye. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.